Hi there. I'm Jonathan Tepperman, Foreign Policy's Editor-at-Large, and this is Foreign Policy Playlist. If you've listened to us before, you know how this is going to work. Each week, I try to help you sort through all the podcasts out there by recommending one show I think will be worth your time. Today I'm featuring To Catch a Hacker, a series that was launched in January by Goat Rodeo, a DC-based podcast studio. Ian Enright runs Goat Rodeo and is executive producer of To Catch a Hacker. Here's what he had to say about the episode we're featuring today. It's called The Inauguration Hack Part 1, Ransom. Hey, thanks so much, Jonathan, for having us. And uh, I really appreciate you bringing us on for Foreign Policy Playlist. So To Catch a Hacker, to give a little background, we we at Goat Rodeo, the production company that did this series, a lot of our shows come together by talking to policy experts a little bit about their field and feel like an escalating series of cocktails. And so what we try to see ourselves in this is mostly translating these stories to audio of, of people who are just working on a whole host of really interesting stuff. So we if we took some of the storytelling conventions that we have in our arsenal of you know, look, of true crime podcasts, of, you know, sound designing, investigative reporting, things like that, and kind of combine that with what are largely, you know, just world challenges, right? They're, they're, they may seem wonky and dense at the outset, but the further you kind of drill down to them, they're human problems, they're communications problems, they're policy problems, but they lend themselves to stories. Uh, and so that's that's a lot of what we try to do here at, at GoRadio, but, but specifically on To Catch a Hacker. Uh, in this particular instance, we had connected with Mika Oyang, who at the time was running cyber uh, initiatives over at the, the group Third Way, doing a lot of work around ransomware and, you know, the broader world of hacking. And one of the things that kind of struck out when we had the, these conversations was this story that she told us about how cybercrime and specifically cybercrime in the U.S., that the estimates are somewhere that maybe one in 100 incidents are ever reported to the police. And of the incidents that are reported, roughly one in a thousand actually lead to an arrest, which makes cybercrime one of the most unenforced and uncatchable crimes there are today. And that really just got me get thinking about how you communicate some of these stories about cybercrime and, and how exactly these cases do get solved. And if you know, people understood a little bit more all the different inner workings, not just from police departments, but the places in the world where cybercrime happens. And to do that in a compelling way, you can get people a little bit more motivated to talk about cyber policy in an interesting way. Uh, it's a long way to, of saying this is a series that's about cybercrimes told like a true crime. So in this first episode, we, we're going to start at the inauguration of Donald Trump. And I think a lot of people remember the speech he gave, the protests that were happening on the streets of D.C. that afternoon. But what a lot of people don't know was that a couple weeks prior, uh, there was a pretty catastrophic ransomware attack that hit the D.C. police department. And there was a really legitimate uh, fear that there might be a kinetic attack being planned that started as a cyber attack on the inauguration. And so this first episode starts with the crime itself and goes in the play-by-play of what's happening in the minds of members of the Secret Service, of the police departments, and how exactly they go about diagnosing and stopping cyber events that are happening in real time. And then in subsequent episodes, we go tell the story a little bit further. 
That was Ian Enright. Here now is the episode we promised, The Inauguration Hack Part 1, Ransom, from the podcast To Catch a Hacker. You're listening to Goat Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us. Picture a robbery that might happen in your town. Bank robbers taking out security cameras. Or broken windows and emptied cash registers. Or a mugging on a dark street. Or a front door smashed in with a missing TV or jewelry. You might hear police sirens. Or see caution tape. Witnesses talking to officials. And investigators dusting for fingerprints. There's a real process going on. And everyone knows what's going to happen next. We know what this crime looks like. It's ingrained in our heads. Even more importantly, we expect these crimes to be rare. And we expect people in charge to have a handle on things. But the truth is, most crime doesn't look like that anymore. The real world of crime is less likely to be in our neighborhoods, but on the internet. It moves at speeds faster than any getaway car or smash and grab. It's millions of breaking attempts in a minute. It's the same brick that's thrown through thousands of windows with a single click. And largely, we are unprepared to do anything about it. This is To Catch a Hacker, an audio series about cybercrime, what really happens, how we find the people behind them, and how they are brought to justice. The stories of the solved cases illustrate how we fight cybercrime and why most of these cases are so hard. Each season, we are going to tell the story of a cybercrime and follow the case until it is solved. We are going to use these stories to share lessons of catching cybercriminals and explore where we are falling short. But these cases are the success stories. We know one in four Americans is victimized by cybercrime. Most never report what happened to the police. Of the tiny fraction that are reported, only three in a thousand incidents see an arrest. This makes cybercrime the most prevalent form of crime in America with the lowest enforcement rate. In looking at the solved cases, we'll see why catching the cybercriminal is so rare. I'm Mika Oyang. I've been researching cybercrime at Third Way. I'm a national security expert who spent most of my career advising Congress on everything from military spending to electronic surveillance to cybersecurity. A few years ago, I became obsessed with cybercrime and the idea that some bad actor in another country could harm Americans without leaving their desk. Come with me as we talk to journalists, researchers, investigators, and maybe even a few criminals about how crime works in the digital era. This is To Catch a Hacker, part one, Ransom. Good evening, everybody. I am Muriel Bowser. I'm mayor of Washington, DC, and I'm joined by members of my public safety team. Security preparations and planning for Friday's inauguration have been underway for months. Members of the Army band stood in for the president-elect and the future first lady yesterday to work out final details. Tonight, city leaders and other organizers are planning anti-Trump protests on the inauguration. Police 
announcing inaugurations is a difficult task every time it happens, but this year is going to be a special. 99 groups have pulled permits to either rally for or against the new president. And Elaine, the largest demonstration could actually happen today. CCTV security cameras are used extensively. Yeah, however, actively responding to the millions of video feeds and My name's Kurt Jaimungle, and this is the Theories of Everything podcast. The show where we bring rigor to mathematics, physics, and consciousness. Exploring grand unified theories, as well as free will and God. Even exploring aliens with former CIA Lou Elizondo. Heated debates on metaphysics with Kastrup and Verveke. Imagine you are an organism that spans a galaxy. How does the universe look to you? Type in Theories of Everything on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, all platforms. On Sunday, January 12, 2017, eight days before Donald Trump's inauguration, an officer of the Metropolitan Police Department, the law enforcement agency of Washington, D.C., made an urgent phone call to the United States Secret Service. The MPD officer discovered that some of their surveillance cameras had been compromised. They had stopped feeding surveillance video to the command center, Instead of a CCTV feed, the computer screen showed a threatening message in red capital letters. Attention. Attention. Your documents, photos, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. Your documents, photos, databases, and other important files have been encrypted. When the MPD officer called, his Secret Service counterpart was on the treadmill. But the agent jumped into action and sped to D.C.'s command center where security feeds around the Capitol were blank. Moments before, a government employee got an email with a PDF attachment. It claimed to be an invoice that needed action. But opening it unleashed a malicious string of code that took over the system, including where they were building the platform for Trump's inauguration. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump. Washington is going to look like a fortress this week. Look at all this fencing. They've already set Tensions up. could be high uh, on the National Mall. That's why security is focusing its efforts to keep things calm and safe. This was the signature of a ransomware attack, a malware scheme used by cybercriminals to extort money out of victims, most of whom lack the technical skill needed to recover their data without paying the ransom. And if you can remember that time, it was hypertense. This is Drew Henshaw senior reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Drew was one of the first reporters to investigate this attack in detail. Uh, the BuzzFeed dossier had just come out, you know, that saying that Trump was basically being blackmailed by Vladimir Putin, and it was a very, very tense time. The U.S., you know, the, the, the U.S. election had had this cyber interference. Inaugurations are the most delicate thing that the Secret Service does because you have two presidents at once, plus every senator and all these important people all converging at the same place. Everyone knows where they go. They really need to use their security cameras that the Washington, D.C. police have. The 2016 election had been the most bitter presidential contest in modern memory, with recriminations of illegal, treasonous activity coming from both Republicans and Democrats. Protesters from both sides were pouring into the nation's capital. And now the cameras had been taken out. The most concerning missing footage was from cameras trained squarely on the Capitol steps. 
the very site where the incoming president would be sworn in by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Standing around them would be the vice president, the leaders of the Senate and the House of both parties, and the outgoing President Barack Obama and Joe Biden. For the MPD, the FBI, and Secret Service, this was the worst possible news at the worst possible time. No one can say with certainty that you can 100% stop everything. But there are steps you can take where you can minimize any opportunity for anyone to commit any kind of act. With ransomware, the key is scale. A single actor can set a trap for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of potential victims without much effort. For these victims, many of whom can't afford to reconstruct their systems or be down for an extended period of time, the incentive is to pay. Ransomers know this and price their demands accordingly. The truth is, ransomware is so ubiquitous because it's profitable. And D.C. isn't the only victim of ransomware. It's happening across the country every single day. For example, like Baltimore, the municipal government in Baltimore. There was another one in Atlanta. You're not just randomly targeting people. You're saying, I think the city of Baltimore would pay me a lot of money if I was able to lock all of their you know, sensitive databases behind a password. And, you know, you could be right. Back in the command center of the MPD, the reality is setting in. 70% of the security cameras are down. In less than a week, tens of thousands of Trump supporters, protesters, journalists, and world leaders will be descending on the Capitol. They still don't know who's behind this. They still don't know if this is part of a larger scheme to sow chaos and plant an attack during the outage. And all of this, according to a low-resolution image on a computer monitor, would go away if the MPD paid a quick ransom to an unidentified Bitcoin wallet. So what do they want? What's the price of a safe inauguration? To unlock your system, you must pay $60,000. To unlock your system, you must pay $60,000. Well, to be precise, two Bitcoin, $60,800 at the time. So why didn't they? The short answer is easy. The MPD isn't some small-town police department. It is quite possibly one of the most sophisticated police operations in the world. Bolstered by the FBI, Secret Service, and countless other law enforcement agencies, they could mobilize and marshal all the resources they needed to take all of their computers and networks offline and replace them with new hardware. The long answer is a little more complicated. With so much unknown about the perpetrators behind this attack, this couldn't be let go like so many other ransomware incidents. They had to find out more about the actors involved. For all the Secret Service and FBI knew, it could be a terrorist organization or hostile foreign power attempting to knock out an incoming administration. It was a case that had to be solved. The hack could have been petty crime, just a few scammers out to make money. But it could also have been ominous, and the combined forces of the FBI, Secret Service, and MPD weren't going to take any chances. It's worth taking a moment to explore the world of ransomware. At its core, it's pretty simple. It's old-fashioned extortion. A criminal walks up to something extremely valuable to you and places a padlock on it. A padlock only they can unlock, and the only way to unlock it is to pay the ransom. The first documented case of ransomware was in 1989. 
A Harvard-trained evolutionary biologist named Joseph Popp sent 20,000 infected diskettes, labeled AIDS information, to attendees of a World Health Organization conference. AIDS researchers who used the diskettes were confronted with a demand to mail $189 to a P.O. box in Panama to get their data back. Pop was eventually arrested for this scheme, but found unfit to stand trial. Since then, ransomware has exploded. One of the biggest reasons? The rise of Bitcoin. Dollars, euros, yen, all part of the currency conversation today. But there is now a new note that people are starting to talk about, the Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an electronic online digital currency. What is the Bitcoin? People have said, hey, Bitcoin is the answer to those problems. Are you a believer? Before the proliferation of Bitcoins, criminals always had one large piece of exposure. How to get access to ill-gotten gains without leaving a paper trail. Criminals had to pick up the cash or transfer it through banks. But cryptocurrencies allow digital transfers across borders while avoiding the international banking system and its safeguards. Now any petty criminal around the world could extort their victim and get paid while hiding behind the veil of anonymity, putting up another steep hurdle for the police and government officials. The demand for money seemed to point to hackers out to make a buck. But the particular cameras that had been taken offline triggered the worst possible nightmare for the Secret Service, the FBI, and everyone else in government. If a hostile nation or other malicious actor were trying to deliver a crippling blow to the U.S. government, this would be the time. All the senior leaders gathered in one place. It had the potential for a decapitation strike. No possibility could be ruled out. Law enforcement would find out that although the hack was discovered on January 12th, it had actually begun three days earlier, on January 9th. And the cameras wouldn't be fully operational until January 17th, just days before the inauguration. Too much time where a bad guy could take advantage of the gap. Well, the first thing that jumped to my mind was really, what's the goal of this? This is Dave Marcus, Director of Intelligence for the Advanced Programs Group at McAfee a cybersecurity company. Is the goal to actually disrupt something or is it just accidentally disrupting something? When things go wrong in a big way in the cyber realm, you call experts like Dave. Because it's hard to get around the fact that it was very, very disruptive, right? You know, it, it really did cause a lot of problems. Um, not being able to monitor the, you know, the inauguration stuff is a big problem. It caused a lot of chaos and it caused, you know, a lot of publicity. And if you think about those two things right there, that screams Russia, 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 right? And when the process for handing over the keys of government in the United States are disrupted in a novel and unsettling way, What's the first country you suspect? So it appears that the Russians are the ones suspected of hacking the, the Department Treasury. of Justice has unsealed evidence by U.S. and U.K. prosecutors against Russian hackers. We're here today to identify and announce charges against a Russian national. And one of the clues here is that the ransomware that is being used here is called Cerber. And everybody that follows this knows that Cerber is, seems to come from Russia, seems to be something that's designed and operating out of Russia. So they're thinking... Is this another instance of the Kremlin interfering in an American democratic process? 
you know, nobody does propaganda and media manipulation, you know, like that particular group does. You go back to the 60s and the 50s and stuff like that. I mean, they wrote the book on propaganda manipulation, and it really did kind of smack of that or somebody making it look like that happens from them. And believe it or not, that's actually something that happens a lot is one adversary pretending to be another adversary. We run into that quite a lot. But it did jump out at me. It's just like, wow, that that's classic propaganda, you know, interfering with the election and then the, the fear, uncertainty and doubt and chaos that uh, results from that. It did scream that particular part of the world. Also, there were threats of uh, Antifa or what have you. You know, they were nervous about, you know, so-called Antifa protesters coming to the Capitol. You better believe that so they're worried, you know, are these like opponents of Donald Trump that have like, you know, derailed his inauguration as a way of getting him back for him benefiting from the hacking of the Democratic Party, you know, on and on. They think this is potentially uh, a very serious state or some sort of organized political group interference in an American inauguration, possibly. D.C.'s chief technology officer said the city paid no ransom and resolved the problem by taking devices offline, removing all the software, and restarting the system at each site. An investigation into the source of the hack continued. But there was real concern that whatever threat was posed to the city was just beginning. Could these hackers have used ransomware for something more? What if this was a disruption to allow bad actors to rig an inauguration site for a physical attack? What if the malicious code was a distraction and the real threat was just underneath the surface? We're just hours away from the inauguration of Donald J. Trump as America's 45th president. Security is tight around the nation's capital. Probably one of the biggest budgetary items is just the security items. Magnetometers that people go through. Uh, there'll be almost 250,000 people that will be ticketed. Law enforcement expects 900,000 people here on Inauguration Day. 99 groups have pulled permits to either rally for or against the new president. It's our role and the role of any people of conscience to try to disrupt this inauguration and have a massive showing of resistance. The D.C. hack appeared to be an extortion effort. City officials said it was localized and didn't affect criminal investigations. But did they really know that yet? Eventually, this investigation would involve multiple law enforcement agencies, from Washington, D.C. to Eastern Europe. It would involve a cottage industry selling black market exploits and Bitcoin money launderers wandering around in a dark web of foreign spies and cyber criminals. It would involve international manhunts and frustrating dead ends. And along the way, the hack of Donald Trump's inauguration will highlight some of the biggest challenges that law enforcement faces in prosecuting any cybercrime. A worldwide investigation is underway into a cyber attack on Washington, D.C. surveillance cameras ahead of last month's inauguration. Hackers are making a killing from secret payments by major companies. Wave of cybercrime is hitting U.S. hospitals, stealing private data and holding it for ransom. Diabolical. We know now is that the Secret Service was racing, trying to figure out who was behind the cyber attack. The case isn't closed. Um, at this point in time, we're pursuing all available leads. Authorities are still trying to determine if the cyber attack was part of a larger plot. The search for suspects is expanding. That's next time on To Catch a Hacker.
And that was the Inauguration Hack Part 1, Ransom, from the podcast To Catch a Hacker. It was first released in January of this year. Our thanks to Ian and Wright for sharing the podcast with us. For more information about To Catch a Hacker and to find other great shows from Goat Rodeo, check out their website at goatrodeodc.com. And that just about does it for this episode of Foreign Policy Playlist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you want to suggest a great podcast we may not know about, please do. You can email me at podcasts at foreignpolicy.com. And for more information about FP Podcasts, please check out our website, foreignpolicy.com, or join our Facebook group. Oh, one last thing before I go. I wanted to let you know about a new podcast series my colleagues at FP Studios recently produced for Africa 50. It's called Africa Forward. We'll be sharing it with you in this feed this week. The series looks at the transformative effect infrastructure can have on the continent and what it takes to get big projects financed and built. Africa Forward is divided into four parts dedicated to innovations in energy, trade and transportation, information technology, and financing. The hosts of the podcast are Aisha Sese and Carol Pino. To find the Africa Forward episodes in this feed, look for the ones that begin with the letters AF in the title. We hope you'll enjoy it. I'm Jonathan Tepperman, and I'll see you again next week. Some folks don't stop till they find the truth. June's Journey is a roaring 20s murder mystery hidden object game. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android or iOS devices and on PC through Facebook games.